We at the Alliance for Responsible Citizenship do not believe that humanity is necessarily and inevitably teetering on the brink of apocalyptic disasters. We do not believe that we are beings primarily motivated by lust for power and the desire to dominate. We do not regard ourselves or our fellow citizens as destructive forces living in an alien relationship to the pristine and pure natural world. If you look out into the world at the moment, there are a series of narratives out there, these stories that we're telling ourselves that are actually determining a lot of our global behavior. If you've got children, you're exposed to some of this in a really visceral way, and you see your children coming home fearful about the future. There's this sort of cataclysmic belief that the future is dangerous, and somehow we are to blame. There is an epidemic mental health crisis worldwide, in great part due to the breakdown of the social fabric and confusion over values where economic prosperity, work and materialism is prioritized over family. And so the despair that we see around us, right, the breakdown of, of all of these social connections is related to a vision of the human being which sees the, the person as just a consumer. Promoting that, reducing humans to consumers, or criticizing it and criticizing humans for being parasites on the world. But what is a better story? What is the better story that we can, we can tell uh, that will enable us to walk forward the way we need to walk forward as societies and nations? That is really going to be the big theme. Wow, how can we give children the best start in life in an era of family breakdown and high living costs? How can we provide energy to billions of people who are unplugged in the world? These are just some of the questions being asked at a conference in London next week, convened principally by the Canadian psychologist Jordan Peterson. Family First is privileged to be invited, and as this show and this podcast drops, I'll be aboard QF1 to the UK. The inaugural Alliance for Responsible Citizenship Conference will bring together public intellectuals and political participants to paint a better vision for this world. It is to counter the negative narrative coming from the likes of the World Economic Forum, whose climate alarmism is driving up the cost of living everywhere and denying the world's poor the economic development and prosperity that comes from affordable and reliable electricity. And it's not just the world's poor, it's people in the suburbs of Australia who are also being denied affordable and reliable electricity. ARC also aims to challenge dominant social policy promoted by Western elites, which ignores and is even hostile to the idea of the married heterosexual family as the basic group unit of society. It looks to reframe the political and cultural narrative towards building family and prosperity for everyone as free citizens renew their engagement in all aspects of civil society. ARC will become a movement to tackle the problem of housing unaffordability, champion private property and renew belief in the virtues of Western civilization. Now, several high profile Australians are involved, including the former Deputy Prime Minister, John Anderson. The conference has been sneered at by The Guardian Australia, surprise, surprise, which means it must be good. While it has been necessary for many of us to, for many years, fight the culture wars, ARC promises to take the battle to a new level, where instead of being on the back foot, positive solutions, along with a better vision for the future, can be put forward. 
I'll be recording my ADH TV show from the ARC conference in London next week, and I'm really looking forward to that. Family First is on board with the ARC policy vision and looks forward to giving expression to these ideas in the Australian political discourse as the party seeks to have people of virtue, principle, courage and character elected to the state and federal parliaments. What do we put forward as a vision on the family policy front to facilitate the, what would you call it, the encouragement and the maintenance of long-term monogamous couples who are child-centered and to make increasing the birth rate part of that policy, to put policies in place that would support long-term stable monogamous families, two-parent families, and child-centered, you know, because in the West, because we're very immature, we think that the purpose of a marriage is the happiness of the people who are involved in the marriage, the husband and the wife. And that's just not the purpose of marriage at all. The purpose is long-term facilitation of their psychological and spiritual development and the establishment of an environment that's beneficial to children. That's a responsible way of thinking about it. And so we need to have a serious conversation about what that means. And, you know, it's tricky because... Like, I think the ideal has to be long-term, committed, monogamous, heterosexual relationships. Well, that was the incredible Dr. Jordan Peterson, the convener of next week's Alliance for Responsible Citizenship Conference in London. Talking about family policy and the sort of vision that is wanting to be put forth at this conference. Now, imagine a world where money is not a constraint when it comes to childcare. Picture a five-star rated daycare with intellectually stimulating toys and an adventure playground where children can thrive. Now, surprisingly, most parents in the United Kingdom, when asked, wouldn't choose this option, and I bet they wouldn't choose it in Australia either. Their primary desire is to see, oh, sorry, is to spend more quality time with their young children. Now, in a paper entitled, Who Cares? The Real Cost of Childcare, authors Louise Perry, Fiona McKenzie, and Ellen Pasternak argue that parents, driven by love and deep attachment, are the best qualified caregivers for their children. Their paper, which has been developed ahead of next week's Alliance for Responsible Citizenship Forum in London, emphasises that caring for children goes beyond meeting their basic physical needs and should prioritise providing them with love, security, recognition and value. The paper contends that children thrive when they are cared for by their parents, with other family members such as grandparents being the second best alternative. Society should prioritise caregiving and adjust secondary priorities like work and expenses accordingly. Unfortunately, modern life often places childcare as something to be squeezed between work schedules and financial pressures. The paper questions how society has allowed these secondary priorities to overshadow the importance of caring for children. It also critiques the government's subsidisation of formal institutionalised childcare, which, in the author's view, separates young children from their parents and forces parents to choose between work and care. The paper proposes several low-cost, simple solutions to create a culture of care and provide families with the freedom to choose how they care for their children. The number one solution, uh, there's about four of them, number one is childcare budgets. The authors suggest giving government childcare subsidies directly to parents as childcare budget. 
Now, this would provide parents with an additional £1,215 per year, well, that's about $2,400 Australian dollars or thereabouts, uh, per child per year between the ages of one and four. Parents could then decide how to allocate this money, whether for formal childcare, hiring a nanny, staying at home, or covering the travel costs of grandparents caring for their grandchildren. Number two, family-based taxation. The paper argues for taxing families as units rather than individuals. This approach would enable couples to choose flexible work patterns that accommodate their childcare choices and job situations without facing penalties. It supports the idea that one parent should not be penalised for choosing to stay at home while the other earns more. And now we understand through economic analysis that was done uh, some time ago here in Australia by Senator Matt Canavan, um, while he was a backbench senator, that there's a couple penalty of $10,000 per year. Now, I'm sure it's more than that now, uh, which penalises a, a family where one parent works in the home. That's the tax and uh, subsidy penalty against uh, a family where one parent works in the home. That's got to change. Now, the third solution proposed in this paper is work that works for families. Normalising flexible work options such as part-time hours, career breaks and hybrid working can help families strike a modern balance between home and workplace commitments. The paper also suggests creating graduate scheme equivalents to assist parents in re-entering the workforce after taking career breaks to raise children. Paying sustainable wages would enable employers and employees to share the rewards of more labour more equitably. Number four, this is a big one, affordable home ownership. The authors highlight the importance of making it easier and more affordable for couples to buy homes where they can raise children uh, comfortably. Having stable and spacious living arrangements is crucial for the well-being of growing families. I know this through first-hand experience my wife and I having had four small children close together. In conclusion, uh, this paper authored by Louise Perry, Fiona McKenzie and Ellen Pasternak underscores the significance of care in raising children. It challenges the current societal model that places work and financial pressures ahead of caregiving responsibilities. By advocating for childcare budgets, family-based taxation, flexible work options and affordable home ownership, the paper offers practical solutions to prioritise children and families. It calls upon individuals and policymakers to cultivate a culture that places children, parenting and future generations at the forefront. Ultimately, by implementing these simple steps to reform childcare, uh, for, to reform the childcare environment, society can make it easier for parents to choose caregiving options that benefit the emotional well-being of their children. This paper represents just one of the many sensible ideas that will be discussed at next week's Alliance for Responsible Citizenship Forum in London. The ARC Forum fills me with great hope. Prepare for the, inev the inevitable backlash from the radical left. Well, Kiralee Smith, our regular commentator on the LGBTIQA plus political activists' war against girls and women, joins me now for the latest. Kiralee, the Labor Party in the UK is vowing to make misgendering a crime. What's going on? 
Yeah, well, they're basically saying if you call a man a male who doesn't want to be called male or vice versa, that you can spend up to two years in jail. It is absolute lunacy. Um, it is, you know, it's it's received a lot of backlash on social media. Uh, J.K. Rowling said she'd rather sit in jail for two years than to bow the knee to that sort of nonsense. Wow. But, um, yeah, but it's already happening here in Australia, Lyle. I am facing two vilification charges for calling, uh, for, for misgendering calling men male. Uh, I don't think that's ever happened here in Australia before, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how these cases unfold. Yeah, absolutely, Kirill. And I was going to mention your case. Uh, I'm glad it's not a two-year jail term in Australia yet, but it's absolutely ridiculous that someone like you is even uh, before these tribunals and apprehended violence orders for misgendering. And uh, is there any update on your case, Kirill? I know we've talked about it in recent months, but uh, I know it's it's a long-running saga. It drags on. What's the latest in terms of your legal action? Does. We have a hearing in November for one of the cases and uh, mediation failed with the other case. So that's gone uh, to hearing in March next year. So, uh, yeah, it's it's ongoing. It's uh, very expensive, as you know, Lyle, and very... Uh, very stressful. So um, I will not back down. I will not be compelled to lie. And I will oppose these, um, you know, accusations all the way to the very end. Yeah, good on you, Kiralee. Look, um, I, I agree with you. And uh, we're going to keep shining a light on this. Uh, we've obviously talked about other people uh, that are facing similar action. My legal action is uh, about to tick over into its fourth year since uh, I was sued by uh, these LGBTIQA plus drag queens for saying they're dangerous role models. You're in legal trouble for misgendering. It's just nuts. Um, if we don't have free speech in Australia, we don't have a free country and uh, we've got to fight this. That's why we're here. But um, let's keep going. Uh, Kiralee, um last week in the parliament, I think we did mention this on the show last week, but there's been some further developments. Uh, Liberal Senator Alex Antic, a, a real champion, has introduced a bill into the federal parliament, uh, a private senator's bill. I believe it's got the backing of the likes of Malcolm Roberts and Senator Matt Canavan and uh, Senator Ralph Barbette and, and possibly some other of those champions that we do have in the Senate. But this bill is to ban uh, experimental gender conversion therapies on children. What do you think could be achieved through this? Well, look, it's a completely reasonable, evidence-based bill. So, you know, it's about protecting children from the harmful effects and the irreversible effects of things like puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones and surgeries for under 18-year-olds. We know that children can't consent to tattoos, to marriage, to um, they can't vote. You know, there's so many constraints we put on children to protect them and because their brains aren't fully developed. And this is the most logical, reasonable step that should have been taken a long time ago quite frankly, uh, by our parliamentarians. Um, but thankfully, Alex Antic and others are stepping up now, uh, seeing the irreversible and catastrophic harm that's being done to young people and wanting to put a stop to it. So we know that there'll be, you know, Labor members, the Greens who will oppose it, but all it will do is expose uh, their horrendous attitude towards safeguarding of children because there's absolutely no reason to oppose this bill whatsoever. Yes, yeah, sadly, um, it may well be opposed by some Liberal people. We know that uh, the Liberal Senate leader, Simon Birmingham, uh, opposed Pauline Hanson's motion for an inquiry, uh, let alone a bill to ban these sort of practices. So um, it'll be interesting to see, but good on Alex Antic uh, for uh, taking this action and those other senators who are supporting him. Um, Kiralee, I noticed uh, on the... Sorry, yeah, go on. 
Oh, sorry, I was just going to say, and it will just bring Australia into line with the UK, yes. with Norway, with Finland, with Sweden, with many other countries. We're not pioneers in this. Mm. Other countries are doing this for the protection of children and we need to do it as well. Yeah, it's very frustrating that our politicians are lagging behind and it's frustrating that so many on the Liberal side, the supposed Conservative side of politics, are running obstruction to these legislative initiatives. In fact, Alex Antic's private senator's bill, that should be a coalition bill. It shouldn't be a private senator's bill. Uh, it should be something that Peter Dutton and uh, the Senate leadership, uh, the coalition leadership should be right behind um, rather than it being seen as a fringe issue. Um, exactly. Kira um, I noticed on the Binary uh, blog, and I encourage everyone to go to Binary and, uh, and check out the news updates that uh, you and your team put up there regularly. But uh, Anna Brown, <laughs> I remember Anna Brown from Equality Australia. She was one of the leaders of the 2017 same-sex marriage campaign. She never downed tools after they won, but she doesn't like Senator Antic's bill. She said, quote, this bill is dangerous, absurd, and an attack on the rights of trans and gender diverse young people to access the health they desperately need. All the evidence shows that denying young people access to gender-affirming care would cause them immeasurable trauma and harm, and in some cases, cost them their lives, end quote. Kiralee, tell us why what she has said is completely wrong. Well, it's completely wrong. It's all it's Orwellian as her arguments have always been, changing the meaning of words, you know, making up her own uh, facts that are not supported by the evidence whatsoever. We know that the pathways that Anna Brown is talking about uh, do irreversible harm to children and there are much more effective ways to care for children. Gender dysphoria is real. Uh, gender confusion and gender identity confusion is real, but there are much more effective ways to support and help our children through that. And one of the most effective ways is watchful waiting with counselling, with uh, psychiatric help to help the uh, young people come to terms with whether it's their autism, trauma, abuse uh, or other mental health issues. And uh, the fact is that suicide rates go up after, yeah, five years after right. transition, not not before. So she's um, she's making stuff up. It's not supported by the evidence and she needs to be held to account. Absolutely does. It's just incredible that uh, what is the remnants of the same-sex marriage campaign continue to put forward these lies into the public discourse. And I guess, um, Kiralee, it shows that, you know, that the great lie of the same-sex marriage campaign back in 2017 to degender marriage was that there were no consequences yeah, and, and we've seen nothing but consequences because when you redefine a word that is consistent throughout history and across all cultures, that marriage was between one man and one woman to the exclusion of all others for life, we've redefined that word and now what's happened? We've, we're trying to redefine the word mother, breastfeeding, pregnancy, like all of these things and calling children mature minors. And so the fallout has been absolutely catastrophic and so harmful, not just for women and girls, for parental rights, for child safeguarding, but for society as a whole. It was a very irresponsible thing to do. And, um, you know, we're going to spend a lot of time now mopping up this mess. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I think if we'd had a proper debate in the lead up to 2017, uh, we'd have a very different result. But uh, anyway, we'll keep prosecuting that argument. Uh, this is not over by a long shot. Now, Kiralee, um, and, and one of the great evidences that it's not over is we are are seeing outbreaks of common sense all over the world. And the latest is in the US state of Arkansas. And uh, I really appreciate you sending us this clip during the week. Let's take a look. All here to say, frankly, that we've had enough. 
enough trying to erase women and girls, enough denying our biological differences from men, and enough of the craziness that is taking over our country. That, of course, was uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the governor of Arkansas. Um, what does she announce, Kiralee? Oh, look, it's absolutely brilliant. It had me cheering as I saw that clip with uh, Sarah out the front and all the women behind her. But such common sense uh, bill that she's put in um, or signed into law, actually, legislation to uh, put back female rights, facts and evidence-based uh, language and terminology in all state-based uh, communications in Arkansas. So, you know, whether it's the health department, education department, no matter what it is, it's going back to factual descriptions of women, females. Uh, men cannot be women. She's done this for the protection of women and girls, but also for clear communication, whether it's in the courts or uh, our healthcare, the healthcare departments, uh, education departments and so on. So good on her. She's uh, ruled out woke language, language that's confusing, uh, that's exchanging the meaning of one word for another and uh, put back those female-centric fact and evidence-based terminology. Well, it certainly is uh, music to our ears, Kiralee, and we both look forward to the day when an Australian political leader has the guts to stand up and do that. I know that mainstream Australians will cheer. Kiralee, keep up the fight. We really admire what you're doing and uh, so value you giving of your time once again this week here on ADH TV. Thanks for having me again, Lyle. Well, in a further sign of the hostility to mainstream family values, Queensland Liberal National Party leader David Crucifelli fired a preemptive shot across the bow of voters who want families first in public policy. Essentially, he said their concerns for the radical LGBTIQA plus indoctrination of children, human rights for the unborn, and the need to prioritise the natural family and public policy are unwelcome. Speaking to The Weekend Australian ahead of the LNP State Council meeting in Brisbane last Saturday, Crucifelli unilaterally dumped the party's policy to review Queensland's radical abortion to birth laws, which also allow baby girls to be killed because they are girls. Now this leaves the LNP on a unity ticket with Labor and the Greens when it comes to human rights for unborn babies and the genocide being committed against girls. He warned the LNP members and parliamentarians against freelancing on values issues, telling the Australian they must focus on things people care about. The so-called moderates of the LNP are always free to speak their extreme views about abortion, euthanasia and the economy harming net zero policies. It is the Conservatives who are always muzzled. For example, no action was taken against the Shadow Attorney-General Tim Nichols when he recently falsely claimed in Parliament there was no harm in having biological males who identified as women from sharing women's private spaces. He said, quote, the issue of men seeking to take advantage of the laws while a, while a concern for many groups is not supported by the evidence, end quote. Now, this is despite women's groups supplying 17 pages of proof of harm. Crucifelli's latest slapdown of family values assumes that mainstream Australians and Queenslanders do not care about children being plied with puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, and being surgically mutilated under Queensland's so-called conversion therapy laws, which prohibit anything other than this fate for gender-confused children. 
Family First is aiming to stand candidates at next year's Queensland election who will stand for freedom, faith, life and family. Well, thanks so much for your company once again this week. Don't forget the ARC Forum, Alliance for Responsible Citizenship, Citizenship will be in London next week and will be streamed right here on ADH TV on the website. Look for the ARC Forum graphic or you can uh, get the forum's contents by downloading the ADH TV app. And uh, don't forget all the other amazing ADH TV content. You can get it on your device through that app. I'll be active on X, formerly Twitter, from London next week. You can follow me at Lyle Shelton and I'll be presenting next week's show from the ARC Forum in Greenwich, London. Looking forward to that. I'll be speaking to some key international and Australian attendees. You won't want to miss any of this. I just believe this ARC Forum marks a major turning point in the culture wars and will bring great hope for a brighter future. Well, there's plenty of great commentary also on the Family First blog, familyfirstparty.org.au. Until next week, Keep speaking up.